Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. From Offscript Media, I am Matthew Zachary, and this is Out of Patience. On today's show, my friend Craig DeLarge. We have this awesome origin story that somehow involves four grown men wedging themselves into a Mini Cooper while heading to a conference in Philly like 15 years ago. He's a digital health entrepreneur through and through. He's worked at J&J, GSK, Novo Nordisk, Takeda, Compass. These days, he is a digital health strategist and educator at the Digital Mental Health Project. This is serious stuff. Very important. He has an incredibly storied career, and he's got one of the most enviable and scroll-worthy LinkedIn profiles you've ever seen. I hope you enjoy my talk with my friend, the one and only Craig DeLarge. Enjoy. I think the most striking memory I have of you, Craig, is somehow cramming into a Mini Cooper with... (laughs) like 45 other people in a Philly event for some pharma company. And that was like our first date. Indeed. (laughs) I remember that fondly. (laughs) You were at Novo Nordisk at the time. And it was one of the first uh, companies I met that wasn't directly in oncology, but I got a really strong sense of what advocacy meant from your perspective as well. And as our listeners will learn, you have one of the most scroll-worthy LinkedIn profiles on the planet. Thank you. And <laughs> he worked very hard to achieve that. Yeah. I'll take it off to you for the origin story that everyone needs to know. Okay, very nice. So thank you very much for the opportunity to be on this um, this session or this podcast. Um, as you know, we've known each other for many years. Again, I'm Craig DeLarge, for those that are listening. And I am fundamentally a digital health strategist and mental health advocate, though I have gotten to this place, as as you've already said, Matt, through uh, a rather um, circuitous path. Back when you and I met, I was working at Novo Nordisk. I was working for that pharmaceutical company in a customer relationship marketing role. But I think it's important to appreciate that. The very reason for me being at Novo Nordis has to do with something that I've tried to practice throughout my life and career, and that is as much as possible combining my career and my need to make a living with some sense of purpose or mission. Many may not realize it, but Novo Nordisk is a company that manufactures insulin for people who live with diabetes. And diabetes is a condition that has absolutely ravaged my family um, and unfortunately my community. I should disclose that I am an African-American male. And so in my desire to have a career that had some impact on diabetes, 
Novo Nordisk was a company that I had targeted and was there for six years and had a lot of good and meaningful work and accomplishments in impacting the diabetes community. When you talk about that advocacy element, aside from having to do the commercial work that is required in any company, I also found that working there gave me lots of opportunity to work with advocates like yourself in various areas of healthcare and has only been extended as I went on from working at Novo Nordisk to having a mental health tragedy in my own family that pulled me into doing advocacy work of my own with the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And then subsequently, some years later, in 2014 to be exact, resulted in my founding of um, a consultancy that I call the Digital Mental Health Project. It brings together the work that I've done occupationally as a digital health strategist and vocationally as a mental health advocate and develops educational programs and research, the intent of which is to enable what we call a more responsible adoption of mental tech throughout society. I love the phrase mental tech. I have not heard that term until right now, and it makes just so much sense. My father has always encouraged me to, in, in my intent as should always be to find a job I love and never work. Yes. And do things that are born of your condition that can have purpose and passion and, and profit, <laughs> hopefully at the same time. In, you've experienced so much in your career and everything keeps focusing back to what you care about the most, which is improving the lives of people you, you had the chance to work abroad, and I never really got the chance to ask you about what that cultural difference was like, your perspectives on how that society manages health and well-being and work and care versus how we do it in the U.S. Could you, could you talk to us about that? Yeah, certainly. Certainly. Thanks for asking. So uh, uh, a very quick background. So back in 2015, I got the very fortunate, though serendipitous opportunity to go to Singapore to work on a digital health accelerator project for um, Takeda Pharmaceutical, um, the largest Japanese pharmaceutical company, and to do it for their emerging markets region. So this role gave me the opportunity to do a lot of travel and to see a lot of healthcare systems. Um, anyway, in that role, getting to see it really struck me that healthcare is not just about the delivery of services, but it has to very much fit in order to work well into the broader social, cultural, political, and economic context of the society that it's intended to serve. And so I was disabused of many of the assumptions that I'd made about what is a good healthcare system from a process standpoint, but I was also very much educated about whatever the process is, what a good healthcare system looks like when it comes to the outcomes. It reinforced for me that the thing that I absolutely love about the American healthcare system is the level of ingenuity, innovation, 
diversity in terms of America's ability to allow people from a lot of different backgrounds and cultures to work together. When capitalism is used well, it actually results in the exceptional healthcare system that we have, just unfortunately a healthcare system that is only really serving the top of the society well. And so I saw other societies that have more of that sense and as a consequence are more willing to actually deliver these things as a family or a human right. And this is theory e-change. I, one of the things I did in preparation for our conversation is, is I actually looked at, uh, at, at your blog at, oh, e at wiseworking.com. Yeah. yeah. E versus O, right? That's yeah. the theory of economic change and the theory of organizational change. Indeed. Uh, this seems to resonate with that concept. Absolutely. Cause it's about, not just about the infrastructure, but about the context or the environment within which that infrastructure is being um, developed and deployed. So you're absolutely correct in that in that regard. As to the appropriate technology, what you find in other societies that don't have the same level of infrastructure, they innovate in different ways. So um, you see where you don't have landlines, there's use of mobile technologies, where you're not able to have the most pristine, say, diagnostic instruments. You have local entrepreneurs that are coming up with ways of using what I'll call middle to low tech approaches to getting at some of these same diagnostic or therapeutic approaches. You have more intergenerational or multi-generational approaches to care. The, the progress or the westernization of that society is causing that to erode. But I think that there's a lot that we can learn. And I think this current Corona crisis is going to reacquaint we as Westerners with many of the social practices and infrastructure that we have forsaken, but which our grandparents and great grandparents saw as the normal conduct of society. Craig, I wanted to hop in because I, the idea of cancer survivorship is really about the whole person. Yeah. One of my earliest mentors, if you know him, Dr. Bernie Siegel, he yes. was, yeah, B Bernie was one of my first mentors. I literally called his house in Connecticut when I was 24 years old because someone gave me his book, Love, Medicine, Miracles. And as I started to get to know him, we look back at that as it was so archaic, you know, to think the audacity to believe that there's more to your well-being than allopathic science and that your mind and your body play a role in all this, like how novel. And here we are 30 years later, somehow surprised that mental health matters. And yeah. the idea of cancer survivorship was off the heels of this idea of humanism and medicine, treating a person like a person. Yeah. You know, you've experienced so much and you've landed in a space that should not be an aha moment these days. Back when it was like, oh, just, Stop being sad. You know, like how how have you seen the stigma of mental health, especially in this country, evolve to a point where is it mainstream understanding and empathy yet? Mm. So you know, there's this famous saying by the um, the British Canadian uh, science fiction writer James Gibson. Um, I hope I got his name right. He says that the future is here but it is unevenly distributed. 
Wow. Yeah. And so, and so what that means is that, that, that I think that's actually William Gibson. William Gibson. Okay. If you want to say that again, just to make it perfect. We're done. Fact check. So, so the, the famous um, British Canadian science fiction writer, William Gibson said that the future is here, but it is unevenly distributed. And so I think that the answer to that question um, is that stigma is eroding, but it depends on where you look in the society, um, not to overgeneralize, but quite often where you have more liberal-minded populations, they will be more ready to let go of stigmas. Um and again, that's an overgeneralization of sort, because we also have to remember that stigma has its various components. And I will tell you that just even in my own um, mindfulness and consciousness, I recognize that within mental health as a topic, there are aspects of it where I am less stigmatized than I was a few years ago. But I continue to be caught off guard by the degree to which I am still stigmatized in other areas. So I might be less stigmatized about depression and anxiety, let's say, because, frankly, those are um, sub areas of mental health where we have gotten more conditioning in recent years to understand that it's more normal. But if we go look at, say, schizophrenia and psychosis, these are actually other um, mental illnesses where we've not had as much exposure. And frankly, that is still too much demonized by the press and um, the media. And so that stigma is variable, actually. Um, I think that when we are in our personal lives, there are lower levels of stigma. But when we go to work, there are still higher levels of stigma because it's a different context. And so speaking of going to work, Craig, uh-huh. uh, and, you know, these days not doing so, yeah. you know, being by ourselves and being at work is one and the same yeah. uh, here in the era of COVID-19, mm-hmm. which will last for a period of time that is as is yet to be determined. And so a lot of these themes that we've touched upon here are getting thrown into stark relief, arguably, yeah. by by COVID-19. You know, the degree to which the future is unevenly distributed is certainly being highlighted right now. Yes. Some people are able to work from home, such as those of us who are participating in this podcast. I'm sure uh, that in ways that I'm not familiar with, the work that you do when it comes to mental health and mental health tech, uh, that certainly is, I'm I'm sure you're experiencing some themes there. So what does that look like? How can people uh, strengthen their resilience with regard to mental health here in the era of COVID-19. Yes, I have some definite thoughts about that um, because I've been thinking about it a lot, lot, working to practice it. And one of the things I've been keeping myself busy with during this time is actually supporting mental health support group leaders in learning how to use um, video conference platforms so that those that they're trying to help actually don't become isolated during this time. I think that's really, really important for us to pay attention to as a society. But now to give more directly to the answer of your question, I think that mental 
um, emotional and psychological resilience during this time is we doing more of what we should have always been doing. So, so let me try to sum it up for you. Um, we need to be more skillful in how we engage in relationships, first with ourselves and then with others. We need to be mindful of our emotions as well as the emotions of those around us and how this isolation and I'm just going to call it the trauma and the distress of all this happening around us is affecting us. And I think this is particularly the case for personalities, I being one of them, that have a tendency to compartmentalize and say everything is okay on the surface, but yet underneath the surface, things are not okay. And, and I've had to really get better at checking in with myself and with my loved ones and being willing to say, you know, I'm not okay right now. But there are a set of things that I need to do in order to get back in balance. But I can't even do those things if I don't first acknowledge it. Another area is sleep. We all need to be sleeping more. And if we can't sleep at night, we need to take naps during the day. We know that as a society, we are running a sleep deficit that is already emerging as a public health problem. And during these times when our bodies say, I need sleep, we need to not push through trying to be productive, which is which was our habit before this crisis, but really let our bodies and our minds have the sleep that it needs. Another area is diet, right? And none of this is rocket science, right? This is what doctors have been saying to us all along. It's just that we really need to pay attention now. So when it comes to diet, we need to be practicing anti-inflammatory and immunity-boosting consumption of food and water because, particularly in a scenario where there isn't a vaccine or an antiviral yet that will help us, our immunity levels is among our greatest protectors in addition to sanitation like washing hands and physical distancing. And I want to emphasize physical not social distancing. And then there's exercise and movement. Uh, we need to be keeping our bodies better in shape because that helps our immune systems and our minds. And then relaxation. So more than ever, we need to be taking time in addition to sleeping to practice healthy breathing, settling ourselves down and praying or meditating, whatever works for you, is about the holistic care in order to prepare myself to survive this individually, but also to prepare myself to be of greatest service and presence in the community and in the social networks that I need to be ready to serve and that, frankly, I need to serve me during these times. Back with our guest after the break. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available 
on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Some people listening to this, when you talk about things like mindfulness and uh, relaxation and uh, the notion of being centered and so on, yeah. some people listening to this, in fact, some people participating in this very conversation uh, might say, well, meditation works for other people, but it doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Yes. And what I would say to that is meditation may not work for you, but relaxation works for all human beings. So I would say don't get hung up on the label meditation, right? But focus on understanding what for you makes for relaxation and rest because it is in the process of resting that the body heals itself, right? So I have friends who say I can't sit down and meditate, but they don't appreciate that there's such thing as walking meditation. Um, There's such thing as being present in the body while running or uh, being on your rowing machine, (laughs) right? Um, That even when you synchronize your breathing with your exercise, the body moves into relaxation states. And there's all kinds of literature about this and and, and apps and wearables that, and um, exercise or relaxation groups or support groups that you can find online and participate in that will help you with this. But first, I think that we need to have an awareness and then an intention to take care of ourselves in these ways. Once we have awareness and intention, finding the resources and the social groups to help us follow through on that are not as difficult as you might think they are. I have seen, proud to have seen the rise of a tremendous variance of credible online social and digital communities yes that are rallying around mental health that i look at as the version of the patient advocate organizations that sprung up in the early 2000s we we saw a need hope and purpose and a tribe with no judgments and no stigma a place to vent a place to be pissed these things didn't exist as social constructs in the 1990s writ large mm-hmm. and and as a my perspective is that we're seeing a, a replicant version of that springing up uh not not even a cottage industry anymore mm-hmm. do you have any recommendations for people listening to the show or in general where are the most credible places not looking for endorsements obviously yeah but have you seen trends on where people are finding solace and no judgments online Yes, yes. So let me speak to a, a, a few that come most readily to mind, and I'm going to be largely speaking here out of my own personal experience. So the fact is, is that most people are already a part of a local set of communities that they rely upon for cert, for, church, for for support, right? It's my church, it's my temple, um, my mosque, 
um, my Sangha if I happen to be a Buddhist, right? And so one of the things that I think for many people is whatever that community is that was already giving you support, um, religious or otherwise, use technology to stay connected. So we've been seeing this boom in video conferencing um, and and uh, we've already been using social media and chat. And of course, we and our grandparents use the telephone. I think that we've been using these technologies in a mindless, too mindless a manner that frankly has not been supportive of our positive social health. And that now is an opportunity to say, take the same tool to stay and to deepen connections that we already had. So that's kind of my informal answer. It's, you don't have to go off someplace you haven't been already. You have to build deeper roots into the communities that you already have, is what I would say there. Now, if you say, well, I, I haven't been that deeply rooted socially in the past, and now in this current crisis, I do need some other resources. You might also find that you're struggling with your mental health and there's stigma in your traditional communities. And thus you do need to go outside of your normal community to get support for your mental health. And, and, and that's real for many people. Well, you have the National Alliance on Mental Illness is who comes most readily to mind that advocates for and supports the families and the loved ones of those that have or um, live with mental illness. They have a whole network nationally and, and most everywhere in the country, you could go to their local website and they will usually list local support groups that will be helpful to you. They also have educational programs that again can be of support. Another that comes to mind is Mental Health America. So Mental Health America um, focuses on advocacy for those that are living with a mental illness a bit more than those that are caring for those or have family members with a mental illness. In any case, they do a lot of great work around peer support, which is about how those that are in recovery can support those that are living with or who are non-recovered. And so going to their website, you can actually find resources. And Craig, we will make sure that we gather some of your favorite links, those you've mentioned and beyond, and include them in our show notes for yes. our, our listeners. I'll provide those for you. Yeah. Now, how can we learn more specifically about the Digital Mental Health Project? Oh, so you can learn about the Digital Mental Health Project at the website digitalmentalhealthproject.com. Uh, when you get there, there's a website tutorial so that you kind of get a, a fast track to the resources at the site that can help you. Um, you'll see that we've got an educational program that we call Stress Tech, which is about how to use your everyday digital technology to support um, the achievement of healthier stress levels. Um, and so we look forward to, and you can also sign up and subscribe uh, to our newsletters and notices. So uh, we welcome people coming by there um, and reaching out to us. We also have, I should additionally mention, a blog or a mirror of our um, website blog on Medium. So you can find us at medium.com also. I 
realized we could probably have endless episodes, <laughs> not just about this critically important place that you've landed as an end result of an incredibly, I mean, almost like a James Bond meets John Wick level of career aspirations. You've been everywhere. You've done everything. You've worn every hat. Not only is it just a, a pleasure to call you a friend, but I'm deeply inspired by everything you've done to get to this point now. And Thank you. God knows there's no short supply of, of um, need to yeah. more mainstream. And I love that you said, you know, stigma is eroding. You know, Obama said progress is not a straight line. I'd like to believe that we've really hit a Malcolm Gladwell tipping point in society on awareness and understanding and empathy for mental health issues as the true root of humanity's fundamental need to thrive yes. and succeed. I agree. I agree with that. Another practice that I had heard about um, and that we actually talk about in our stress tech training is the idea of a content diet. So we know that a, f a good food diet is absolutely critical to good health. But how often do we think about our content diet? What are we exposing ourselves to and how much? We need to really make sure that we're mindful about the content that we're exposing ourselves to online, offline, when talking with people, coming from the media, um, and even the content that we create in our own minds through the stories that we tell. We need to make sure that our content diet is balanced in the same way that we balance our food diet. Not all meat, but balancing it with vegetables and fruit, right? Uh, we also need to make sure that we are not becoming obese in our content diet, that we're not overconsuming, but we also need to make sure that we're not becoming malnutrition as a form of therapy that helps us to have empathy for the common plight of humanity in these times, as well as reflecting on the history of pandemic and the ways that we as societies have survived pandemic and actually come out better as a result. Uh, my friend, thank you so much for your time. Yes. You're living crazy. The world is burning. We're trying to keep it spinning and, and you're, you're a good man. That's all for today, folks. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is a product of Offscript Media. Our executive producer is Matthew Zachary. Our senior producers are Jen Horanjeff and Andrew McDowell. Darren Tun is our production intern. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Matthew Zachary. Our theme music is by the Mike Van Allen Quintet and by Mara. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. Hit us up at contact at offscript.com to share comments, feedback, and make guest recommendations. For more information, visit offscript.com.